0: Welcome to Invalid Culture, a podcast dedicated to excavating the strangest and most baffling representations of disability in popular culture. Unlike other podcasts that review films you've probably heard of, Invalid Culture is all about the abyss of pop culture-adjacent media that just never quite broke through because, well, they're just awful. I'm your host, Erica. And
1: I'm your other host, Jeff. And it's time now for us to think about some culture that
0: might just be invalid. I'm arguing with strangers on the internet. Not going out today because I'm feeling too upset. Arguing with strangers on the internet, and I'm winning. And I'm winning! Jeff, how are you doing today?
1: I am excited to be back. I feel like I haven't watched a terrible movie in so long.
0: Well, I would be able to say the same if I hadn't just recently watched Touched by Grace. So safe to say I am happy to be back, you know, coasting as we are straight through the second full year. Are we into the third year of pandemic now? I've actually lost count.
1: I don't know. I think we're still in 2020. So we'll just see where we pop out the other side. Perfect. I think so. I think so. And speaking of what it feels like to be in a global pandemic, this episode, we watched a thrilling film uh, called Touched by Grace, which had all of the same what is happening that we have experienced in COVID. Now, I'm assuming all of our loyal listeners have listened to the, or have watched rather the movie before, but in case you have not yet managed to watch this amazing film, uh, let's give you a little bit of a breakdown So what is Touched by Grace? Well, local mean girl, Kara, is moving away from her best friends forever after pulling a totally sweet, uh, albeit fat shaming prank, on a fellow youth. Now, in her new city, she has no friends, but it's okay because Kara's thirsty mom encourages her to befriend cafe worker and high school 35-year-old senior, Brandon, and eventually connects with the other local mean girls Quinn and Skylar. But one day, when out taking pictures at a playground, for reasons, Kara meets and befriends Grace, a person with Down syndrome. Kara begins to become a better person, or something, but still wants to impress her new friends. Skylar and Quinn, her new mean girl friends, decide then to play an epic senior prank, modeled after a prank that Clara... Claims to have played at her own school, which includes getting Grace nominated prom queen and then humiliating her before the school by making her sing on stage. But wait, Brandon, the cafe worker, and his brother Ben, who is essentially the Down syndrome version of Dr. Ruth, surprise Kara and Grace with an awesome promposal that involves a gorilla costume and popping a million balloons with a group of very cool Christian teens. The plan succeeds, and eventually Grace will have some sort of uh, attack of some version on stage while singing, and legit dies. Her preacher then gives an impassioned speech, repeatedly clarifying that Grace was a broken blight on society. Lessons were learned, I suppose. No one is charged for manslaughter, and the movie ends. Perhaps most importantly, though, the box description of this movie explains it is inspired by real bullying events that our teenagers in our community have witnessed happening in their local high schools. Did we witness a murder, Erica? Uh,
0: <laughs> we, we witnessed some some violence, that's for sure.
1: I think that is completely fair. So, okay, if we take a high view of the film, what were your general impressions of this beautiful piece of art?
0: My, I think my my most general impression was that I felt, in some ways, that we were watching a recap of season one of *Invalid Culture*. Like, it was as though every theme we had discovered, uh, discussed during the first season was recapped for us in this film uh, with, you know, of course, some notable additions. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty pumped to be getting into those additions today. Um, but yeah, I think just like your standard train wreck.
1: Yeah, I, so I have to be honest with our viewers. Uh, I started watching this film... Uh, a couple weeks before Erica and I watched it, I got about halfway through and I stopped it because I knew that this was going to be the first episode of our season because this movie is so ridiculous, so absurd, but yet, I don't know. There's something about this movie that brought me back, that made me want to watch it again. Part of it was because I wanted to see some of the just like, borderline human rights uh, violations that occurred uh, in this film Uh, and number two I I was enamored with the fact that the film seemed to actually have a lot of insight into people with disabilities but seemed to have almost zero insight on people that do not have disabilities (laughs) this is I think the first film I've ever watched where I'm like have you never met a non-disabled person ever? Because none of the non-disabled characters behave like real people in this film. And that I thought was just such a beautiful inversion. I knew we had to do it.
0: Shall we get into um, some of what the critics had to say?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There are people much smarter than us that have words to say about this film.
0: And we are looking here exclusively at the popular critics. Uh, shall we begin with Judy F. from Christian Cinema? Absolutely. Gave, so Judy F. gave this film five stars and said, What a wonderful movie. As a child that was teased due to my walking handicap, I saw an excellent lesson for all to watch and learn from. Thanks for the great movie.
1: Now, I want to talk about this a lot more later, but what lesson did this film... I do not actually know what the lesson that is being learned by this, I have no idea.
0: I was going to ask you the exact same question.
1: I actually am more partial with another uh, Christian cinema reviewer, uh, two stars uh, from iOS C. Yep, that is right, iOS is in the Mac operating system for your phone, iOS C, two stars, I
0: enjoyed the film. Jeff, you found my review, that was me. iOS C, two stars, I enjoyed the film. (laughs) Uh, Shall we move on to Amazon? So I'm, I'm honestly I'm, a, I'm I mean I guess Amazon has everything. Part of me is a little bit surprised that this film is on Amazon.
1: Yeah, it's barely on Amazon. You can buy it on Amazon. It is very expensive. Mm. Uh, very expensive.
0: Okay, that means that Amazon is aware of it, but does not actually have it. Precisely. All right. So another five star review. We have Carolyn Kowalski. Yes, great movie teaches kids to respect and appreciate each other. Also, working with special ed kids and adults, which I do every day at the grocery store. Sarah Sicilian was great in this movie. She was one of my scouts in high school, so I was very anxious to own and watch one of her movies.
1: I love this review because of this weird admission right in the middle. Why do you believe that Caroline needed to disclose to us uh, that they work with special ed kids and adults in grocery stores?
0: I'm just having trouble processing what that means. I wonder
1: if this is like an appeal to authority. Like, I know disabled people, therefore I can assess that this is a good film. Oh, yeah, yep. Yeah. You know who has figured it out is our reviewer Wimpy Charlie. Four stars explains, quote, It's an excellent movie, but perfect for teenagers. I would recommend this movies for teenagers to watch. This is actually something we've seen a lot in a lot of the reviews. A lot of people believe that this is a film for teenagers, and I would strongly debate that point.
0: Yeah, I would I would advise... I mean, I would not advise anyone to watch this movie, but especially not teenagers.
1: No, I think the lessons that teenagers would learn from this film is how to murder someone with Down syndrome.
0: How to murder, how to make fun of... Like, I just don't... I mean... The film, as we know it, is called Touched by Grace, but the alternative title is The Senior Prank.
1: Yes, yes, that's a good point. The movie was originally going to be called The Senior Prank. The prank is the heart of the movie.
0: Yeah, no, definitely not for teens.
1: We have one last review, uh, and this one I'm going to turn over to you, Erica. uh, And this one comes from uh, the YouTube channel that is hosting this entire film free for you to watch right now. Christian Movies on YouTube
0: from Kate pearson i absolutely loved this film if only everyone could see the world through grace's eyes i used to work and look after people with down syndrome and i always wanted to have a child with the condition too the way they see life and the amount of love they have in their hearts we see life and stress and worry about stupid things we get upset and argue with others but people who have this disability are so loving pure and see life full of color and compassion, as well as full of happiness. God only gives children with disabilities to special parents. It makes me sad that although it was only a film, that there are so many judgmental people out there who are so sad and unsatisfied in their own lives that they have to be nasty and ugly to others because they see them as different. But God made us all different for a reason. He gave us compassion to use it. Some people say manners don't cost anything. Well, neither does compassion or love. Use it. XXXX Kate. Brit flag. XXXXX.
1: Okay, there is a lot going on. I don't even know where to start.
0: I strongly suspect that Kate Pearson had a role in creating this film. Interesting.
1: This is a hot take. Tell me more.
0: I am hearing themes of the film that none of the other, uh, let's say, quote unquote, objective reviewers have picked up on. Um, These idea, you know, the idea that the world is such a cruel place, which again, I am baffled that none of the other reviews picked up on this because that was probably the most striking feature of this film for me. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. As we will unpack ourselves shortly, there really seems to be a description in this review from kate about the way that um disabled people are different in a very good trust me listen to me honestly i swear very good way but different and that's kind of what i was getting from the film as well
1: now what do you think about the desire to have a child the idea that like you know almost like this has like pet vibes to me where it's like, oh, like I've always wanted like a corgi dog, and I've always wanted a Down syndrome child.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, right on brand for this kind of like peculiar objectification that we see come through in this film. Uh, a bit of a bit out of uh, alignment with um, a message that came straight from it, the dialogue of the film, where it is stated that. Disabled people, no matter how much people are willing to care for them, are actually extreme burdens on society.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. In what is perhaps the best eulogy of all time, I find I find that this this really leans into this idea that that people with Down syndrome are these like cherubic, angelic, like loving in all ways, like simple people that see the best in life. Which strikes me as the belief of someone who like doesn't actually have any sort of interactions with people with Down syndrome. Which isn't to say that they are monsters, but that people with Down syndrome are complex people because they're people.
0: Yeah, as I read this review, I think like, oh, I've heard this before. I've seen this represented before. It's, it's not what I got... From the film. It's not what I get from real life, but I've definitely heard this narrative before.
1: Yeah. I, and I feel it feels like it comes from like the special needs mom, quote unquote, branded. Yeah, uh, this idea that like it, it's like this desire to make them valuable. And it's like, well, they're they're not valuable in all the ways that we see other people valuable. So maybe they're like good spirited nature that could be the way that they're valuable, and there's a productive value in that because it helps us to be better people and to see the world uh, through their eyes. There was a lot of that I think in a lot of the other reviews as well. This idea of wanting to see the world in the way that grace sees the world which I find particularly bizarre in this film where Grace doesn't actually have that much of a role in the film other than uh, being a friend, eventually being a date uh, talking about wanting to tell her to preach uh, to give her her testimony as to her relationship with God and then dying and that's, that's Grace's arc. Like, I don't I don't really actually understand what people are learning from Grace in this film.
0: No, I don't think that Grace is a character, a properly developed character in this film. Grace is, I, like, I spent this whole film just wanting to know more about Grace. And this film does not deliver on that in any way. Hot take,
1: hot counter argument. I thought the other character with Down uh Ben... Um, the brother of Brandon, I actually felt the kind of opposite. Like, Ben actually kind of felt like what people were saying Grace is like. Like, Ben was kind of, like, loving and happy-go-lucky and was living his best life as a rocker. Uh, He was sort of doing all these things, but the movie is not touched by Ben. Uh, It's touched by Grace. And I wonder because I think "Touched by Ben" is probably a very different Christian film. Probably. Whew. Uh
0: yep, yep. Uh, just uh, yank us back on track here. I would agree with you fully. I not not all aspects, but I did overall really enjoy the the Ben plotline, um, character representation, and I mean, what is that? What what is that? What is it that the supporting actor? has no depth of character. And then this like random side plot character has so much. Yeah.
1: It's a huge question. And maybe this is just about actors, you know, actor ability. Maybe Ben was just a better actor than Grace. Uh, But if you think about what we know about Ben, um, there's actually a pretty good list of stuff, of things that we know about Ben. Whereas Grace, we know that she is obsessed with a butterfly metaphor um this idea of like the ugly caterpillar becoming a beautiful butterfly that is like core to her personality she appears to like uh American idol and she dies <laughs> she has many medical conditions apparently
0: yes extremely ill despite appearing fine all of the time.
1: oh and she has a bad heart we, we that's like the most distinct of the medical problems that were given. Uh, is that she has a bad heart and maybe asthma, but that's never actually described, so I'm not really sure. So this movie was a train wreck, but it is time for us, I think, to get a little bit more analytical. So to start our journey through this film, let's play that old fun game of name that trope uh, so erica what was a great disability trope that you found in this film
0: one of the clearest messages coming out of this portrayal is that the world is overtly hostile towards disabled people in the most extreme and dramatic ways like i i don't think in representation or in real life have i ever seen more abject <laughs> disableism yeah and including, I mean, this, this this film also flashed me back to like elementary school when I think, you know, some uh, 20 to 30 years ago, um, the the sort of public imagination about disability was maybe a little bit less educated, a little less PC and, you know, eight year olds were, you know, using the R word and certain hand, hand gestures and sort of mocked slurred speech to, to make fun of each other. I really did not expect to see that from teenagers in a what was this 2014 production.
1: This was like not an old movie. Correct. Yes. Yes.
0: And, and not just teenagers but the mother. The mother <laughs> the of mother. The, the, the protagonist's mother has like just to the point that she she sees disabled people walk into a restaurant and says we need to leave immediately.
1: Yeah, she's like, what is this, the Special Olympics? And there was, like, three disabled people. We're not even talking, it was like a small group of
0: friends. She's just appalled to find out that her daughter's new friend has Down syndrome.
1: Horrified. Like, how
0: could you? How could you?
1: A shame on the family. Yeah. Oh, 100%. The the mother was hands down, my favorite character in this film because <laughs> the, her discrimination was both so kind of like real but also so extreme like this was like cranked up to 13 like no one would be able to watch this and not be like that was a horrible thing for you to do or say and I, it's I'm like I'm equal parts like honored and impressed by but also kind of horrified by the level that this film decided to go at like stereotypes and discrimination against people with intellectual disabilities because some of it is like yeah it's like dead on but it's always taken to like the most extreme level uh a level that i'm like i actually don't think i mean it's bad out there for disabled people everywhere yes But I don't think it's ever this, like, overtly and randomly and casually
0: terrible. To the point that the actors at some point seem visibly uncomfortable with their character portrayals.
1: Okay, so we have to address this great scene, my favorite scene. The scene that I paused the movie afterwards and immediately texted Erica, uh, Skylar and Quinn start to do a pantomime And in a very brilliant way I would argue, first uh, Quinn does what essentially sounds like somebody uh, with a, with hearing loss uh, or a deaf person trying to talk sort of the slurred speech. And Skyler is like, no, you idiot <laughs> she's not deaf. she's this And then does like the Donald Trump, cerebral palsy, sort of hand beat it on the chest, this slurred version of uh, the R-word. And if you look in these two actors' eyes during the scene, you can see the exact moment they realize they're going to hell.
0: Which, you know, I think that's a beautiful segue into Trope 2 because I think that's actually part of the point of this film is using disability to find God. To find a path to redemption, and these these mean girls uh, that you were just describing, they are the they are the non-religious crew, and and that's this is kind of a clear setup in this film where we have the non-religious folks are extremely and overtly prejudiced towards disability, and then the religious folks are extremely compassionate um, and caring.
1: Yeah, like I mean. You know, you kind of know what you're getting into when you start a movie, and it's called "Touched by Grace." Uh, we're all about to be touched by this disabled person, yes. Mm-hmm. But I think you've made a really interesting point, though, here too, that it's like there's there's actually two roles being played here. It's not just about how is this disabled person going to like teach us how to be better better people, but there seems to also be some like clear instruction about the role that non-disabled people need to play in the lives of disabled people.
0: Yeah, so I was getting this strong, like able-bodied saviorism where we have these non-disabled or non-apparently disabled main characters. Um, Brandon is the uh, dreamy, far too old to be in high school. He's um, only forty five years old. that, like, that guy <laughs> has like a four hundred one k. Yeah, and I mean the mom knows this because the mom starts to hit on him immediately, and then sort of realizes, oh shoot, are you a high school senior? I should be setting up <laughs> you up with my daughter, actually.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: phenomenal pivot there.
0: Yeah. Uh, so then this is in the smoothie shop where Brandon works. Um, so we have and Brandon, you you mentioned um, the the second the second character with Down syndrome is Ben, who turns out to be Brandon's brother. So Brandon is the brother, uh, to, uh, men with Down syndrome and he knows grace from the smoothie shop or from school. It's, Oh, I guess from youth group. It's
1: probably from youth group. Yeah. Right.
0: Uh, so they're, they're all kind of connected and Brandon is just so impressed with the, I can't remember his words exactly, but how naturally Kara is able to treat disabled people like equals. And she assures him that it's not natural at all for her. And she's trying very hard.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which to be fair... I would also be impressed if my first introduction to you was your mother being like, we have to leave this place. There's a disabled person here.
0: Right. So we watch this arc. I think really this is what the film is about. Like the the arc of the main, the primary arc of this film is watching Kara's evolution as a human away from this fat shaming bully to the secular fat shaming bully to this um, found saved caring person but and and we we sort of rely on grace in the film to to help to to be able to see this evolution in in Kara from sort of an ignorant hatred to this care albeit a pity laced care there's there's always sort of a i'm doing it because i care for her not because i actually see her as my equal but because i understand that the good thing to do is to treat her as an equal
1: and that there's value, because I will also get access to this, like, understanding of a different way of seeing the world. That I will see this beauty once you stop paying attention to the, and they say more than once, disgusting, hairy caterpillar yeah. into the beautiful butterfly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is maybe a puberty. Is this a puberty text? Is the, is the hairy, disgusting caterpillar, like, puberty?
0: I, I mean, I, okay, so I, I think at, at face value, it seems that this butterfly metaphor, and for anyone who might not have watched the film yet, the only thing we know about Grace is that she really loves butterflies <laughs> and is actively... Uh,
1: harvesting. Uh, are
0: oh fostering <laughs> these, um, in, in this process, these caterpillars in their process of metamorphosis. So you, on the surface, you have this noble message that it's what's on the inside that counts. But mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately it's not about, it's not really about in, inner beauty because it's, you know, it's not like you have the the beautiful thing that stays on the inside. It's really about metamorphosis. It's really about right. Shedding this ugly interior and letting your inner beauty shine or, as I kind of read it, like finding God,
1: becoming sort of the, a beautiful, better person in sort of in the light of the Lord.
0: And was this was the, I assume this is the direction that you were going in when you called this trope the disabled as patron saint?
1: Right. Yeah. Like, like not quite spirit guide exactly, but like this totem that that symbolizes or evokes. Or maybe like materializes these like these deeper teachings, these deeper teachings of like care and compassion and seeing the best in people and caring for people, uh, and and I think looking at this through the lens of metamorphosis kind of does explain this awkward moment at the very beginning of the film when Kara meets Race for the first time. And she sort of, like, doesn't want to be friends with her. And then Grace mentions that she's friends with Brandon and that she can help set Kara up with Brandon. And now all of a sudden Kara's like, yes, I will be your friend.
0: Okay, that's just really interesting to juxtapose with Ben being the... what is? How does he self-describe as, like, the... The doctor of love. The doctor of love. They're both this sort of, like conduit to relationship or to, to love.
1: Yeah, they facilitate the relationships. Despite the fact that central in the movie is Grace's anxiety, literal to the point that she has uh, some sort of medical attack that requires a puffer um, after she gets sprayed with a, a milkshake, uh, but this anxiety that she will not find love and uh, that no one will ever ask her to prom... And then Brandon's like, well, I do have someone who can ask you to prom. But really, it's because now I'm able to ask Kara to prom. It's like, I I really do wonder how the Ben-Grace relationship acts as this way of sanitizing the, like, sexual desire of Kara and Brandon. Like, Kara and Brandon want to pork, but you can't, because this is a Christian film, So instead, they're going to go on this innocent date with Ben and Grace, because it's obviously innocent. They have Down syndrome. They're not sexual beings. And therefore, Brandon and Kara can also then go on this date. And it's safe and it's not sexual, because they're all just friends in the Lord. But they would have porked, probably, if Grace hadn't died.
0: Yeah, so that was the curveball that no one saw coming. I mean, okay, looking back, the film is full of this like gratuitous medicalization. It, the foreshadowing was 100% there. It just it just seemed so illogical. Like, yeah, we heard that she needs her meds, she needs her meds, she needs her meds
1: and a new heart.
0: And a new heart. Her mom, you know, sort of shamefully draws attention to the medical equipment in her bedroom like, "Oh, don't look at that." But do
1: which is sitting beside her butterflies that are currently these like Mm. gross hairy caterpillars and that's where the medical equipment is sitting
0: yeah so to be totally fair the foreshadowing was there but it just i think literally as we were watching it we were saying no no they're not they're not they wouldn't and then flash forward and you're clearly at a funeral.
1: Yeah, this, I honestly, th- I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb here. This is one of the most shocking disability deaths at the end of a film, which yeah, we should have seen it coming, but the way the film is going and the tone of the film, you would never imagine that they were just gonna slaughter this girl at the end. Like it felt like she would have trouble and she would make a recovery because of her faith in God. Uh, like there that there was going to be this like pristic like pure movie uh, that's really what it really felt like it like, really felt like all this she's sick and she's sick and dying felt like it was more setting up that and then they were just like nope rug pulled out she dead and I was thrilled <laughs> thrilled I cheered I was so excited I couldn't believe it. I was like, I didn't think I was going to get this. But once again, the disabled character must die.
0: I don't think I had time to be thrilled. I mean, I can't say I would have been thrilled, but I, I don't think I had time to before we launched straight into the eulogy to end all disabled eulogies. We have to
1: play this clip. We have to just let people hear it because it is the most beautiful eulogy that has ever been given for a disabled person. And I have to tell you, I almost graced at the end of this eulogy. I literally almost died watching this. So if you're driving right now, please pull over just in case
2: you also die. Internationally renowned nurse and journalist, Claire Rayner, once stated that the hard facts are that it is costly in terms of human effort, compassion, energy, and finite resources such as money to care for individuals with handicaps. People who are not yet parents should ask themselves if they have the right to inflict such burdens on others, however willing they are themselves to take their share of the burden in the beginning. This philosophy has been echoed throughout most so called advanced civilizations. In fact, because of this philosophy, over 90% of Down syndrome babies are aborted before they ever have a chance to take a breath. But we are here today because we believe in the words of 1 Corinthians 1, 27, that God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. And we are here because one of the weak things, one of the least in this world, Grace Elizabeth Young, touched our lives with the brightness of her strength and changed our lives forever with the light of Jesus shining in her smile.
0: Let's pray. He quotes a nurse, a nurse, who says, it's expensive and requires a lot of human resources to care for people with handicaps. And that those who are not yet parents should ask themselves whether they really have the right to inflict such burden on others.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which then connects to the horrifying stat that we are regularly aborting people with Down syndrome. And then he pivots again... To repeatedly assure us that Grace is like a weak, despicable person who is there to shame and humble the strong and intelligent. And that she did. She was like a successful vessel for the message being sent by the Lord through this, like, person. And then it ends and that's all we get at the funeral.
0: Yeah, that was the point at which I went, oh, this is a pro life propaganda film? Like, that's it. Now I see, like, the whole time I'm wondering, but why disability? Why was disability in this film? And then it was just like, oh, there's the convergence.
1: Yeah, there's, a, but funny enough, though, it's like, it's dropped in there, but then it also isn't really touched again, really after either. Like, I thought it was about to get like really preachy after this, but it kind of doesn't. And I wonder, I'm starting to wonder if this was like a funding thing, if in order to get this film that they wanted, they wanted to tell this story about like bullying and acceptance. But they also needed like money to make this thing work, to be able to do it. And so I honestly wonder if they were like they applied to some like grant that was like if money for pro-life like propaganda films, and they were like, okay, well, we'll just like put this scene in there. Why do you think that at no point did they decide that the eulogy should be complementary of this person?
0: Again, because I think in, you know, in this film, Grace was never a person. Grace was always an object. And so what do you have to say about an object at its funeral? Only praise for what it what it did for the, the human people around it.
1: And I you know, I think this is interesting because in some ways then the film itself served, like there's like this like meta meta thing happening in the film in which... The film objectifies grace in order to tell two different sort of like one sort of religiously motivated uh, and one sort of more like propaganda ideology motivated sort of lesson. Like there's these two lessons that are happening here, which is like pro life yes and you know beauty and compassion is the Christic way. But then if you take like, a step back even further, then you have this like meta meta like this meta metaphor of like down syndrome becoming this useful tool in the arsenal of of pro-life uh, campaigners that grace becomes this like symbol of the problem with abortion uh that we're gonna we're gonna kill all these people which again the stats do say is actually fairly accurate that people do actively choose uh, to abort fetuses of, disabled people, but yet the film never actually gives us any real understanding about why Grace's life is valuable outside of how she is useful to showing people the way to God, basically. Uh, And so there's like like, double objectification that's happening uh, of disabled people, both like within the text, beside the text, outside the text. It's just like, it's like a nesting doll of objectification.
0: All right, why don't we move on to our next segment? I'm sorry. Can we talk about?
1: Yeah. So i I have a hot, a scorching hot take. Um, so after now, we have spent most of this podcast uh, kind of pilfering this uh, truly horrendous film. I have a hot take, and my hot take is that this film. I wonder. Does this film, perhaps almost certainly unintentionally, provide a scathing critique of the electing of disabled people as prom king or queen within high schools? So many of you probably know, and if you don't know, there's this viral trend, right, where teenagers will elect often the person with Down syndrome, but not always. Sometimes it's other various disabilities, Uh elect them as prom king prom queen and then it makes the news about how great it is that these local non-disabled children have like given of themselves and seen the inner beauty of these disabled people and made them prom king this movie though presents this inversion in which not only do they make them prom king and prom queen but then they mock them to death at the end like grace starts singing and Everyone in the auditorium is dying of laughter. This is the funniest thing they have ever seen. And in some ways, I wonder, is this the perfect critique, the perfect critique of these prom things where it's never about the person with Down syndrome. It's not about Ben being the doctor of love and loving rock and roll or grace wanting to see the inner beauty or being a good sinner is all about the like emotional enjoyment of the viewing audience and the voting audience.
0: Jeff, I have a gift for you.
1: Oh, I cannot wait.
0: I don't know if this throws a wrench into your theory or helps it along, but when I looked on IMDb and I couldn't find any information about Amber House, the actor who plays Grace, I did a little bit of poking around the web and you will not believe what I found. What I found was a headline. (laughs) Dream come true for family after daughter with Down syndrome is asked to the prom. What? (laughs) (laughs) Covered on both the DailyMail.co.uk and Huffington Post. What? So it turned out, that, according to Huffington Post, uh, Amber's mom actually ran a campaign. Amber's mom desperately wanted Amber to be asked to the prom and felt that no one would ask her. And she just really wanted her to have that life experience. It was unsuccessful, but it turned out that unrelated to that, a choir friend had actually invited Grace to prom already. And
1: Whoa. wait a minute. <laughs>
0: um, it's a little hard, unfortunately, in my viewing area. I could not actually watch the live news clip, so I just was able to read the article, um, which is a real shame because I really wanted to see the interview with the uh, promposer. Interestingly, in the Huffington Post article, the article is about Amber and someone else who also got prom posed and then was elected queen the prom queen so i just like i got the feeling reading this like did did they find amber as an actor through this media story
1: which which came first did the movie come before the promposal
0: the promposal came first what
1: <laughs> okay wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute So these people (laughs) saw this article and were like, we should get this girl to be in our movie in which she gets elected prom queen and dies.
0: Yes. I believe that's what happened.
1: This is the greatest film of all time.
0: Okay. So the other little fun piece of trivia that I picked (laughs) up on while researching actors was that the, the actor that plays Ben uh, Frank Stevens is actually a fairly active advocate, um, including, like, con- like I think he's had some communication with um, Obama, um, or uh, was c- critiquing Ann Coulter about um, her use of slurs against mentally disabled people when referring to Obama. What? And so I just found this really fascinating, because I, I, I know in our first season, when we 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 sort of noticed some trends where the when there when there were disabled actors involved in the film there seemed to be some better representation. Um, we suspected because the actors were lending some critique to the film, and so right. I wondered just given that um, the Ben slash Frank actor is a seasoned advocate, if perhaps that's how his character got to be, uh, have a little more depth and be like a bit of a cooler character, um, where it seems that Amber is not an experienced actor and uh, perhaps, you know, maybe not as, as much experience um, in this kind of setting and and not having say the confidence to, to push back on the filmmakers um, to, to shape her character at all. Unbelievable. So I'm really, I, I'm really sorry for hijacking your, I'm sorry. Can we talk about, but.
1: <laughs> no, I want to talk more about this. I, okay. Wait a minute. Okay. I need, I'm sorry. I'm just processing this. I need to go back for like half a second. So did you say that she had a date for the prom, but her mom was like, no. She needs a better date for the prom.
0: No, no. Her mom. No, 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 no. Her mom. Her mom did not. Okay. Before, I guess, before the, the household prom conversation comes up, because that's a totally normal thing. Before that came up, mom actually led a campaign to try and find her daughter a date. So Get this to me, this just aligned miraculously with when we were talking earlier in the film about how that that parent trope of like my child is broken, but I want to you know I have to try and and give this like redeem the value of my broken child. Um, so according to the Huffington Post article. Um, Although her parents said she never had a problem making friends, they were concerned she would have difficulty finding a date. So Peggy's mom started a campaign for a prom date a few months ahead. That was unsuccessful. But meanwhile, Amber already had a date and her mom just didn't know about it yet. That's
1: even better than my original suspicion. Yes. In some ways. I also like... What would you have done, Erica, if you'd found out that your mom had been running a campaign to find you a prom date when you were in high school? Would you have been touched by Grace?
0: (laughs) I mean, I guess it might have been nice to have a prom date, but um, I just wanted to just to to round that participation from mom out. And actually, I want to I want to just contrast in this Huffington Post article what so Matt was the prom poser. Um, he said, he said, Grace was my number one choice. I know her from choir. I really like her. She's awesome. She's fun. Great to hang out with. Mom said she was amazed. This is a quote. I started crying. I'm just so proud of the young man who would step up and take her and that she's able to do this and have that experience with all of her friends. Like, whether my mom went out of her way to try and find me a prom date or not, I think the part that wouldn't sit so well with me if my is if my mom said that she was just so proud of the person who would step up and take me.
1: I'm pretty sad right now actually that during, at my wedding, that my parents didn't get up during their speech and say how proud they were <laughs> of my partner stepping up and taking me as, <laughs> off their hands incredible i like i i find it this is so tough because the response to this like we're sort of like laughing and cackling at this and the response to this is always kind of the same which is well you don't get how hard it is we do we live it every day we see what they go through uh which you know i'm not going to deny but at the same time i honestly really wonder like are these utterances really the deep, like the deep, genuine belief of these parents, or are these parents merely playing out this script, the script—the script that you have to play out if you're going to get the coverage which you want for reasons, reasons that actually, probably, actually translated into their daughter being in a film in which she's killed at prom. I really wonder that, though. Like, I I wonder how authentic are these, or is it just people playing the part, like, playing the part that they've seen so far, like, playing the part of the hell hath no fury like the special needs mom, Uh, or, because that was, like, a big thing in uh, a movie that we're going to hear from a little later this season in our Valentine special coming in several months, or this trope, right, about oh, my poor child is such the least of us.
0: Um, I suspect most parents probably their imagination of what a good life is relates to their own life experiences. And so if they want their child to have what they had, um, you know, there is, and, and like the teen years are sort of a difficult, they're, they're a transitional point in life where where life is directed largely by parents until, and, and, and you know, the young person is getting to that point in their life where they're able to uh, to lead their own life and really kind of center their own life around their own personality. And, and so I wonder if, um, yeah, if this is sort of a, a teenage, a bit of a teenage issue as well, uh, or, or whether, you know, I, I guess it might be constrained a bit too by like parental or societal perceptions of what's appropriate for people at different ages, different life stages, or even different abilities. We have done our deep dive into the themes. We've heard from the critics. Now it's time to get trivial. Let's look at uh, some fun facts about the film. Jeff, you want to kick us off?
1: Yeah, so our first little segment is you might remember me from such films as... And if you were watching this film and thinking, I feel like this character girl looks a little familiar, uh, this is, of course, our actor, Stacey Bradshaw, probably the most, quote-unquote, famous in this film, predominantly because of her appearances in several anti-choice films, uh, including playing the lead in the understatement of the year controversial film called Unplanned, which you may have heard of before, but Stacy has also been in other films that are anti-choice, such as a short film, which I'm trying to get my hands on, called Wheelchair. Uh, Stacy is not the star in this, but she does appear in it. Uh, this is a short film about a mother of a three-year-old who temporarily needs to use a wheelchair uh, and is allegedly a, quote, pro-life mini-film, uh, which I have no idea what is going on there.
0: And then we also have Sarah Sicilian... A uh, former scout, perhaps, who plays mean girlfriend Quinn, um, who interestingly enough is listed as drunk girl number one in *The Dark Tower*, and was in a *Follow Boy* music video. It's
1: like two very different career paths for these two women.
0: And we didn't we didn't get um, the actor's name on this list, but character Skyler may or may not stunt double for Blake Lively
1: yeah they definitely were looking for the like great life brand like lively uh for that character absolutely
0: now i know this is one of your favorite segments the equipment facts no wheelchairs to speak of in this film so no no quickie identifiers here but we did have a couple of devices on grace's bedside table what were they uh Research and speculation can only get us so far.
1: I have no idea what these two things are. There is like this like gray device with a giant butterfly sticker on it. And I'm guessing that that butterfly sticker is covering the brand name, which means I could have probably figured it out, but they like covered it. And then there's this like tube thing with a tube thing with like a tube with like a nipple (laughs) on it. And I just have no idea I have never seen this device. Like, I'm wondering if it's like a feeding device maybe, or like I, if anybody knows what the heck these two devices are, please email us because I just have no idea.
0: Yeah. it's. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing that since uh, Grace's medical condition was entirely fabricated, the medical equipment on her bedside table was whatever the heck we could get our hands on that looks like it helps her breathe. Sort
1: of, yeah, yeah. It was sort of gestured as medicine and, and breathing apparatus. Uh, it, it, you know, the, the, the gray device might be a suction device of some variety, but it does not look like any of the types of suction devices I've ever seen. Uh, I haven't seen all of them. I'm not like a suction device aficionado. Uh, I mean, I have one that I use because I do have breathing problems, uh, and these are not the devices I, I would have seen. Uh, And then Grace also uses a puffer, uh, which is also, I don't understand because they say that she has problems breathing. They say she has heart problems. Maybe they're saying she has asthma. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. Is that the, the, the two times that she has unclear whether it's an asthma attack or an anxiety attack and
1: heart attack. It's
0: like me, get her her medicine. Where are your meds? Where are your meds? Like it's unclear what meds. And it's a puffer, which,
1: yeah. So I don't know what is happening in this whole situation. I also find it hard to believe that somebody who has, like, quote-unquote heart problems wouldn't have, like, an EKG or some sort of, like, heart monitoring device beside the bed.
0: Yeah, so on to production facts. We have Donald Lowe, producer, director of such Christian hits as For the Glory and Badge of Faith.
1: I really want to watch Badge of Faith. Mm. There are prop guns in Badge of Faith. I want to see it.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: <laughs> no disabled people that I know of. Yeah.
0: The on your own time, I guess. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> that one's just for me, my private viewing.
0: And then we have the not, we really don't have anything for production facts for this film. Like we know, written by Chris and Catherine Craddock, uh, who, as far as research can tell us, have basically done nothing else.
1: Yeah, and there is a reference sort of throughout the text uh, about a Christian youth group that seems to be very active in the United States. Uh, there are divisions of this youth group in Canada, but shockingly, none in our hometown of London, Ontario. Uh, so we had no means of trying to find out anything really more about these people. Uh, I have no idea if they like paid to be involved or if they paid to make the film maybe, Uh, But I will say, I think every actor in this film had strong Sunday school Christian youth group vibes, every single one of them, even like the adults. Would you say that's fair, Erica?
0: Yeah, like even the even the mean girls who notably were not wearing crosses around their necks, uh, you know, if they weren't acting mean girl and were wearing crosses around our neck, they fit in well with the rest of the, the cast.
1: I wouldn't be shocked if, like, most of the people in this film are all a part of the same youth group.
0: Yeah, well, how else would they have multiple T-shirts in the film that have the youth group name on them?
1: So it is that time, our favorite time of every episode, where it is time for us to rate this film. For those of you who have not listened to the show before, we have our very own Invalid Culture scale, which measures the quality of film based on four scientifically designed questions. He puts his tongue firmly in cheek. Uh, The way this game works is, like golf, the lower the score for the film, the better the film is. So let's start out with question number one. Question number one, Erica, on a scale of one to five, with five being the least accurate, how accurate does this film portray disability?
0: I'm going to, I'm really torn on this one, but I think I'm going to go with a four out of five. And I am giving mercy for the, uh, for Ben, because I thought Ben was like a pretty decently portrayed character. And I also thought that like, Although overblown, like the ableism was in the direction of reality.
1: Yeah, I also gave it a four. Okay. I uh, but I took off marks for a different reason. Uh, I took off marks because the biomedical of this film was just complete nonsense. <laughs> uh, I mean, yes, people with Down syndrome do have chronic heart conditions. Typically, people with Down syndrome could have problems breathing. Uh, all of those things are like accurate, but the way that it was just smashed together in this like jambalaya of medicalism uh, I felt was uh, that definitely should have removed a a mark so but I agree I think the ableism although on steroids uh, I think was like kind of accurate to the ways that people think about intellectual disability at times
0: so on to the next question with five being the hardest how hard was it to get through this film
1: I always struggle with this question always uh but it's because i am a weirdo who loves terrible films but i I gave this one a four um it it wasn't the hardest thing i've ever watched there were some trying moments but i think the thing about this film is that it takes very seriously that old school like filmmakers motto which is that every scene should increase the drama from the previous scene. But this movie starts with a fat shaming of a a teenager whose parents come outside and scream, why do you hate our daughter? And it has to go up from there. (laughs) And so this thing just like ratchets every scene is just more extreme and unbelievable than the last. That kept me hooked so... I'm giving it a four. Uh, sorry, I guess actually I'm the other way around. I'm giving this a two, a two, uh, a two out of five. I felt that it was actually very easy to get through this film.
0: Wow, I gave this one a four because I did find it cringe factor alone made it hard to get through this film. Like I was physically uncomfortable watch I was so distracted by like you know just like the silliest little things like why are they selling popcorn in a smoothie shop and you know why are there clearly no drinks in the drink until it gets spilled like there were just so many they're, they're not even disability related bits but just the, the film production had so many uh cringy and then it's just oh gosh I can't that's a separate separate episode we'll just leave it at a four <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the production of this film was fairly bad. Like This was like YouTube quality, like film making. Uh, I'm so sorry, uh, everyone involved, but actually kind of not sorry. Uh, all right. Question number three, scale of one to five with five being the maximum. How often did you laugh at things that were
0: not supposed to be funny? I think that's a five for me. I laughed constantly at this film.
1: (laughs) Easy five. (laughs) This movie was unintentionally hilarious. And even the things that were trying to be funny were hilarious because they were so cringy.
0: Yep, I'm with you there. Easy five. Yeah, in our last category, how many steps back has this film put disabled people with five being the most?
1: Uh, I gave this a 3.5. I don't think it set us back a lot. There were definitely some questions. I think the preacher's sermon alone set us back at least one step. Uh, so I'm going to give it a three point five.
0: I'm going to have to give this one a generous four for for, for well intentioned because I although I don't think it hit the mark by any means. I do think that there was some well intention here.
1: Okay, drumroll, please. That means this has achieved our third award, our third rank. A crime may have been committed. And I think that's fair, because that scene of the two girls definitely felt like something that would be
0: shown at the UN. Yeah, I had a feeling of being violated at some points in this film, so...
1: Absolutely. I definitely... Gagged at least once while watching this film. This concludes another episode of Invalid Culture. Thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoyed it, or not. Do you have a film you would like for us to cover on the pod, or even better, do you want to be a victim on Invalid Culture? Head over to our website, invalidculture.com, and submit. We would love to hear from you. That's it for this episode. Catch you next month, and until then, stay invalid.
0: yet.